Namahe te whanau and welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingi where we are previewing the third round of the Tri-Nations with the All Blacks taking on Argentina this Saturday at Bankwest Stadium in Sydney. Now I have to apologise, I feel like I've been apologising to you guys so much lately for not having a recap for round two. I did get to recording it with my mate Ben but unfortunately we ran into some technical difficulties and we just didn't have the time between us to do a redo before me getting this podcast to you guys but in place of that I am going to be covering off a lot of the talking points from last weekend's loss to the Wallabies with this week's guest and Adam Pearce a former uni mate of mine who has a wealth of rugby knowledge so yeah without further ado let's get into it with what me and Adam covered. Well kia ora Adam and thank you very much for accepting my invitation onto Code with Kingy where we will be covering round three of the rugby championship slash tri-nations uh yeah, obviously a disappointing weekend for Kiwi fans, but I, I guess a bit of an eye-opener to, you know, when you throw in a multitude of changes. So, first off, how are you, and what did you take away from the weekend's loss to the Wallabies? Yeah, kia ora, mate. Uh, kei te pai. Yeah, no, pretty good, mate. Um, pleasure to be here and, and have a bit of a all with you, mate. I mean, like most All Blacks fans, I think you're pretty disappointed with the result. Uh, on the weekends, uh, although I mean I think we need to keep it in context as well. You know, if that uh, in the venue or at the venue in Brisbane, you know they've only lost one of the last four test matches. This is the Wallabies against the ABs, so it's a bit of a I wouldn't want to say fortress, but um, they know how to win there. You know, but I think if we look at the Wallabies side, Reese Hodge, I like the look of him at ten. Um, there were a few a few commentators saying that they weren't going to do that well or that he wasn't going to do that well at ten. But I think that experience really showed through. I think Lollasia was showed up a bit in terms of the in terms of his inexperience there. I mean, personally, for me, if we if you look at the game overall, uh, and in terms of the push and shove uh, that we saw a lot of during that game, I was pretty disappointed to see the likes of TJ uh, and Kane get involved in in that. Uh, for TJ especially, you know, with his incident with Nick White, uh, you see in his mind that he goes off. It, you know, Nick White's so good at pushing, pushing the envelope. He goes right to that level but never really pushes it over for mine. And uh, you see TJ gets that fire in him and, and really looks like he's going to throw one. But um, he, he realises where he is and just holds Nick instead of actually putting him in the ground. But um, I think it's, it is really disappointing to see, especially TJ, go that way. And especially Kane as well. You know, I think for, a, for an All Blacks captain... You want them to to be better than the rest, and I think that's where Richie was so good, and that he appeared to be above all of that. Whether that's the case on the field, you know, I'm not sure. I think only the players on there who will have played with him will know. But I think a lot of people will expect Kane to follow in Richie's footsteps because of the similarities between the two. And I don't know about you, I don't know about anyone else, but personally, I was a, a little bit, uh, you know, put off by the fact that Kane got in amongst that. Some people might think it's a good thing, but um, yeah, personally, I, I wasn't too impressed. It's a double-edged sword because I think anyone who's played rugby knows that, you know, when your brothers are getting into a bit of strife, you're there to back them up. But I completely understand where you're coming from, and and if I probably tend to side with your argument, considering he is the captain. And you mentioned the fact you look at T.J. Pedernard. I mean, he's played around 50 tests for the All Blacks, and you just think that he'd know better. 
and but, but it wasn't just him. I, I think practically the whole team. I mean, there was the incident where Anton Leonard Brown shoved Nick White after he kicked the ball away when the All Blacks were awarded a penalty. I just think that had the All Blacks had cooler heads, they would have prevailed. But I mean, credit to the Aussies. I mean, they they really came out and they they put in a far better performance. Um, on a lot of fronts than what they did in Sydney last weekend. Um, but, yeah, a 24-22 loss, it's... Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where, I don't know, it's... I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the Wallabies won the Test match, but I more so thought it was the case of the All Blacks shooting themselves in the foot. Um, I think so, and I think you hit the nail on the head, and, and John Plumtree's come out and said it, uh, I think, just uh, today or, or just recently, that uh, the changes disrupted the rhythm. And if you're having 10 changes to, to a team, that's bound to have an effect. And on the other hand, it also, you'd think in the Wallabies' perspective, it's going to G them up. Because if you think a team can, can make 10 changes and think they're still going to win and still going to dominate, personally, I, I'd take that as a personal slight and say, if you, especially if you're Michael Hooper, you're saying, right, these guys are going to make 10 changes and think they can still win. Well, you know, bugger that we're going to go and go hard and we're going to hit them early and we're going to win. But on the, on the other, other hand, you know, to contradict myself, you're, it's, for the All Black fan, you remember those times when the All Blacks make wholesale changes and they still beat the opposition. And it's when, when that happens, when conversations that the All Blacks will never lose, that's when they happen. When All Blacks A can beat the Wallabies 40-10 and All Blacks B can beat them 20-10. You know, it's when those conversations happen is when those those results start happening and that's when the likes of Foster and Kane and etc they get that capital they get the the faith from the rugby public that they're doing the right thing so I don't think that's part of the conversation or part of the thinking behind that but um, I certainly think had they won that with all of those changes they certainly would have gotten a lot of faith especially with Foster because he's been under the spotlight recently yeah totally my man and so if we Drawn the big talking point from the game, it'd have to be the red card or red cards. So Ofatunga Fasi went off for a high shot on the Wallaby winger Tom Wright uh, in the 22nd minute. And then Lachlan Swinton, uh, the Wallabies blindside, was closely followed. Um, or he closely followed Ofatunga Fasi with a red card for his high shot on Sam Whitelock. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get to the All Blacks discipline because, I mean, that was ultimately what cost them the game in the end, um, namely Scott Barrett's yellow card. But... What did you make of, of, of the red cards and uh, the, the commentator's remarks um, following referee Nick Berry's decision? Well, personally, I, I wasn't surprised. I mean, what do you expect from a game nowadays that uh, seemingly pledges uh, to commit to safety and we want to prevent concussions as much as we can? I mean, I'd, uh, I digress. I'll relate to uh, a, an incident up in Taitokoro uh, for the Tanifa when Scott, uh, Scott Gregory, in fact, was, uh, was red carded uh, for a dangerous uh, tackle in the air on, I think it was a North Harbour player. And his red card was later turned over because it was the wrong decision because I think refs nowadays are inclined to make those kind of calls because we have this culture to, to protect the head. But ironically, I think it was Gregor Paul from the Hill who pointed out that um, neither of the players who were, victim, who were victims of those tackles went off for HIAs. I mean, I don't particularly remember that, but um, that was certainly what he attested to. And I think if you're going to make those calls you follow through. You know, if you're going to make those calls based on safety of the head and preventing a concussion and, and all of those kind of reasons, you follow through and you get them checked. 
So I see a little bit of hypocrisy there, but with reference to JK's comments, I mean, he's, he's really dominated the mediascape after that with his comments surrounding the fact that red cards should be you know, abandoned after this because it just affects the game. And I, th- I agree with him purely from an ent- entertainment point of view uh, because you know, people are paying exorbitant prices to watch these games. And if you're getting someone sent off getting someone red carded in the first 10 or 15 minutes then the game's practically done especially at that level you know but perhaps it's better you know there's suggestions that that, uh, we replace that red card with a yellow uh, well not a yellow card where you take the player off and you replace them in 10 minutes and that player faces a big effing fine and that's how you you know abolish that kind of behavior i'm not sure what the answer is but it's certainly uh it was certainly a shame to see especially when you said that hypocrisy where neither player went off for an HIA. No, I hadn't actually thought of it from, from that perspective in terms of the, I guess, the tackle mm-hmm. getting taken off for an HIA. That's a really great point to raise, but I'm going to have to go against you and, and your siding with JK. Now, I understand from an entertainment perspective that it does ruin the spectacle by having 15 play 14, but for me, I think that the player's safety is paramount, and... The, the onus is on the tacklers now that although, you know, players are slipping down and, you know, they're making these collisions going 100 miles an hour, the risk you take with not aiming anywhere below the shoulder line or below the chest line is what we saw on Saturday. Now, you only have to go back 12 months to how critical the referees were at the Rugby World Cup and penalising players for going high. Now, for me... Like being a smaller fella on the rugby field, you know, I've, I've never tackled high. And, you know, in the attempts that I've gone to go high, I'm going to get shrugged. So I've always learnt, or I've always been sort of pressed by my old man and my coach to tackle low. And I don't know why the players can't. Like, Ofotunga Fasi, for me, he could easily put in just as jarring a hit if he hits him around the ribs as he does around the shoulders. Yeah, I know that you might get a bit, a bit more impact and you, you might push him a little bit further behind the advantage line and it might G your teammates up, but... There's no G up when you're getting sent off for a red card. But, that, but that's ultimately just my outlook on it because I think that the player safety um, and, and player welfare is what's most important. You know, it's like, yep, I get that you know, you pay 150 bucks to go and watch your Blacks play or go play or go watch an international test be played. But, you know, if, if our stars are at risk of having, you know, CTE problems, you know, 20, 30 years down the track... Like for me, like I'd rather see them, you know, happily look after their own kids and you know get to spend time with their grandkids and actually be coherent, you know, in those sorts of relationships than you know see the aftermath of you know taking a couple of high, high head knocks. Yeah, but well, yeah, I think yeah. you're quite right. I think there's two sides, two strong sides of the argument, and I think you're very right in saying that Tuanga Fasi doesn't need to do that to g up the boys. I mean, all we need to look at is the tackle on Bernard Foley. I don't know when it was; it might have been a year ago. You remember that tackle? Mm, that yep, absolute yep. bumper tackle. Um, and that was that was around the waist, from what I remember. And that's, I mean, that g'd up the boys plenty. But I think I wonder whether is is it a penalty? Is it an offence that's worth a red card? I think was the question that I was mulling over. And and that when you're at when you're playing at that level, when you're playing at that pace, do you have the ability as the tackler to adjust where you're going to tackle when a player might be coming down? And I know the rule includes or factors in the fact that the player with the ball might be going or travelling down or falling over or something like that. But is it a case, like you're saying, that tacklers just have to aim lower 
or should there be more understanding that a tackler going in, eyeing up a player that might be might be five, you know, seven metres away, and then that player slowly coming down, or the ball is coming lower and his body position is becoming lower, does the tackler have the ability to adjust quick enough, or are we not giving them enough leeway? And I suppose what you're saying is, really, if you start from a lower position, you don't have to worry about that. Well, that's exactly the point, and I think that when you get to that level, there's the understanding that the lower man always wins the contact. So the ball carriers are already looking to go low because it gives you a better centre of gravity. So if you're a tackler and you know, you're know you training this sort of stuff both with ball in hand and without it, week in, week out, for me it's like, yes, I understand that you want to put in a big hit, but is it really worth the risk of giving away a penalty to begin with? Because we, we saw how crucial penalties were on the weekend and the fact that the Wallabies took their points on offer when you know our All Blacks were uh, infringing or giving away high shots. And yeah, I mean, like honestly, like I'll roll over into the discipline stuff now because you just get me worked up about the red card stuff. I don't think we're either of us like I see it from your side, but for me, I I just think that you know the onus is on the tackler. But you know, moving on to the discipline point though, the All Blacks actually trailed the penalty count seven eleven to the Wallabies at half time, but gave away six in the second half. And funnily enough, the, the Wallabies weren't actually penalised or, or pinged in the second half. Like. It doesn't mean they didn't do anything against the rules of rugby, just that Nick Berry didn't seem to, to ping them for it. But of those six penalties that were given away by the All Blacks in the second half, four of them were turned into three points, so that shots at goal. And one of the other two was Scott Barrett's yellow card for when he knocked the ball out of Nick White's hands uh, whilst he was on the ground in the, in the ruck. So, and when you look at the scoreline now, 24-22. Had the All Blacks, for example, taken the three on offer right on half time, they win the game. Now, I know that, you know, it's at half time and that changes the whole outplay of the game and the whole complex of it. But um, I, I guess where I'm trying to go with this is one, like, well, i got to bring up Scott Barrett's point. I mean, what was he doing? Like, yeah, I mean, personally, in, in I... In an age where we had the, when we have a video referee, how did he think he was going to get away with it? I have no sympathy for Scott Barrett. And look, you know, I might like the, like the guy. I've never met him. Uh, he seems like a good bloke. He's from Taranaki. He's a Barrett. You know, we all love him. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't have any sympathy. And the argument, I think it was that Justin Marshall said at the time, was that, you know, they've got, they didn't have a number of penalties trailing before that. They they weren't in the end zone, as you might like to call it. They weren't in the 22. But you just don't do that. Like, why would you do that? When, you, when you've got a game that's as close as that, exactly. there is absolutely nothing that you you would gain from doing that, apart from getting caught and conceding three, potentially five, potentially seven. You know, I just don't, I don't see any kind of logic in that. But if we look at the overall penalty count, it's too much. It's much too much. And especially for a team who prides themselves on a dominant last 20 minutes. You know, th- this is what we've been taught about New Zealand rugby teams, especially the All Blacks, is that the 20 minutes belongs to them. And that's always been the failure of any other opposition team, is that they can't last the 80 because the All Blacks last the 80 minutes plus. And to have that, many, have that many penalties, especially in comparison to the lack of penalties for the Wallabies, uh, is not acceptable. Now, we should add some context in that we did have a very changed team. We had 10 changes to that team, so maybe things aren't as settled and maybe we understand that. Whether that's, you know, whether that's an excuse you're willing to accept, I don't know. But... Um, Discipline-wise, moving forward, 
it needs to be much more clinical. Yeah, I just it, it it was a frustrating game because, like I said before, the All Blacks really gave this one away. It's like again credit to the Aussies. I thought that you know the likes of Marika Korambidi had a really good game. You, you mentioned the likes of Reese Hodge kept the points ticking over and he was a calm head in the back line. Taniella Tupo came on and sealed the game. And funny enough, did a did a job on Alex Hodgman at scrum time. But it, it really was. That, that was the difference, that last 20 minutes. And the focal point of that was Scott Barrett because for that last, what was it, tw- I think he got binned in the 68th minute, 67th. So he really left his team hanging. But again, like <laughs> the All Blacks have this knack, you know, even when they lose... They're still in the game, and you know, had it not been for the aforementioned winger and his hit on Damian McKenzie, who knows, the All Blacks could have gone the length of the field. But ultimately, it was the Wallabies finishing with 24 points, and the All Blacks had 22. But yeah, like you said, that that All Black penalty count will, will need to come down, and I think it will. I think they'll ring the changes come this Saturday. And uh, speaking of changes, uh, one of the big, one of the other big talking points from Saturday's performance, uh, or from an individual perspective, was the starting halfback. And TJ Pedernada. Now, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go and crucify the guy any more than I have done in the past. Um, you know, I, I've been clear about where I stand on him. You know, I think he's an awesome player. He's very abrasive, and he knows how to find the try line. But for me, your halfback's here to clear the ball. And for however long he's been in that All Blacks environment, I haven't seen that big a development in his passing, both well, both at the All Blacks and at the Super Rugby level. But I guess at the super rugby level, because he is that good a player, he tends to get away with it. But the point I want to make with Perinara is that a lot was said about Barrett and his lack of influence in the game. But I take people, or you know, if people are wanting to go back and watch the game. If you look at that last five minutes when Brad Weber comes on, and you just look at how much flatter Barrett was playing to the line, and just how much zip, I guess, the back line or, or the team as a whole had when you know the little janitor came on. I think there was actually that great a difference. And for me, Perinara should have got taken off at half-time, or at the very least with 20 minutes to go. I have no idea why Ian Foster or Brad Moore left it to the last five minutes to chuck their reserve half back on, because I just point to, well, for me, one of the points that really stood out was, I think, around the hour mark when the All Blacks had their own scrum uh, on their own 10-metre line, and Perinara put the, ball, put the ball in, and the All Blacks had seemingly won the scrum, but he sort of mucked around, he sort of, he sort of looked blind and then looked back to shape to go to Barrett and then Tani Alatupo comes in and wins a tight head and gives away a penalty and Reese Hodge turns it into three points and you made the point earlier about the little scuffle that he had with Nick White and it's like, yeah, I know that Aussies are really good at getting under opposition skin, we, we see that in the likes of cricket and, and whatever other sports that you know they, they tend to dominate in but yeah, I, I guess that's the, the, the other, the, the double-edged sword that you have when you play with Perinara because he is such a competitor and, and he always goes out there and he wears his heart on his sleeve that on the flip side, I, th- I think there are times where he does tend to lose his cool and he can get a little overexcited and, and look to do too much to make up for his mistakes. But, yeah, I mean, do you have anything you, you want to add on Perinara and, and potentially any other changes that you'd like to see ahead of this weekend's game against Argentina? Yeah, well, I think Ed, echoing what you're saying, uh, as, a, as a Hurricanes fan through and through, we love Perinara. Uh, there's there's no way that um, that would back any other halfback despite uh, Aaron Smith's uh, prodigious talent. But it was strange. It really was strange watching watching his performance, Perinara's performance uh, on the weekend. It kind of reminded me of the performances, you know, kind of four, five, uh, six years ago, 
when he was clearly the understudy to Smith, and there was no no question that he would be that would he would ever be a starter. He would always be on the bench and always be below Smith. And I think we've seen a lot better performances from him as a starting All Black halfback. And um, really, it, it really was um, really was strange to see that. And uh, unlike him, I think, especially with that kind of indecision, it's not something that uh, that is a trademark of his game. Um, I mean, personally, I think Smith, uh, not Smith, sorry, Perinara is he's cursed by the fact that he's such a good impact player, and that he will always be more valuable off the bench, given Smith's talent. Uh, as an all-round halfback, he will all, Perinara will always be better off the bench. So I think, you know, it's 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 hard to see, especially as a as a Hurricanes fan, to um to see Perinara not. Well, I suppose it is waste an opportunity to start against a strong Wallabies team and and to perform pretty poorly because you're quite right in, in what you say that um that when Weber came on, it uh, it operated a lot better, and I think. It's a shame, especially to see the relationship that Perinara and Barrett obviously have, exactly. to to not see that work, which is which is shocking. And you know, if we talk about Barrett, especially at ten, you know, I think the man, the man can do anything really. From what I hear uh, from players who have played with him, when they're out of ideas, they say pass it to Barrett and see what he'll do. He'll make up something magic. He'll do something that will spark some life into the team and, and spark an opportunity. But if I was a betting man, I'd put most of my money on um, Richie Moonga starting at 10, to be honest. When the All Blacks get hit like this, they usually return back to what they know works and to their reliable systems. Because, to be honest, the All Black coaching, uh, coaching system is, not, uh, is not, a, not a very brave one. It will return back to what it knows. And to be honest, I think we will have newer players. We, will have, we won't have our set 15 uh, for, say, a game against South Africa or a game against a full-strength Australia uh, or a do-or-die game uh, against the you know, Argentinians this weekend. But I think they will be more modest in their changes and might throw a couple... A uh, couple of changes in there, but uh, I don't. I certainly don't think it'll be ten. No, no. I mean, I, I'd like to see in terms of like carrying over some of the team from the weekend. It was unfortunate to see someone like Akiri Ewani have his night called early, off the back of of a Tonga Fasi's red card. I think that he deserves another go in that six jersey, and, and it, it looked to work well between Kane and Adi Sevier. Uh, that's that, that's not to take anything away from the the, the talents of Hoskins Tutu or Cullen Grace, who, who's another one I, I've had my eye on. But I just I, I like the look of having a, a dynamic ball carrier in Sevilla, a, a fetcher and a hitman in that seven jersey and our skipper, Sam Kane, and then having a, a bit more brunt in that sixth role. And I just think that a kid has probably got a bit more meat on his bones than Hoskins and probably has a little bit more mongrel in him, or he seems to show a little bit more mongrel. So, yeah, I'd like to see him carried over. Um, I'm not sure what we do about Scott Barrett. I'm not sure whether he's earned himself another go on a starting jersey or whether we return to, um, uh, hopefully, if Patrick Tuipolotu comes right from sickness and then have, you know, have him matching there with Sam Whitelock. But, yeah, I mean, I mean off the back of my comment about Perinata, I'd actually like to see Brad Weber start. I, I just think that his game's more suited to the, to the current All Blacks game plan because of his ability to clear the ball and 
like I mentioned the fact that Pedernada scores tries, but Weber knows his way to the try line as well. He, he he's quite nifty at, at being in and around the ball. He's got great ball sense. Um, it was unfortunate to see someone like Nani Lamapi not really take full control or take take um, or make the most of his opportunity. And I, I guess that was off the back of some some pretty poor back play or, or not having as good a front football with, with the Fords not dominating as much and not having Aaron Smith in that role. And I think that. He might not get another opportunity for a while in that 12 jersey. I think they're either going to go back to Antoinette Brown there or, or Jack Goodhue there, and, and they might give Rico a shot at 13. Who knows? I think with, with the fact that the Rugby Championship or Tri-Nations or whatever you want to call it's on the line, I think they'll, they'll probably go with the tried and true with Goodhue uh, and Leonard Brown. And, yeah, I, I think they're going to push Barrett back to 15. Who knows when he's going to get his next opportunity in the 10 jersey, given he's on a sabbatical next year, which means they'll push... Geordie back out to the right wing, and I think that Caleb Clark takes his place back out on the left. So, yeah, I, I, it would have been good if we had a won that game to then, I guess, allow for the All Black coaches to ring a few more changes over the next two weeks because they are going in, uh, or they're, they're playing a, a pretty undercooked Argentina team than, than what they would have been used to uh, under previous campaigns. But, yeah, moving on, like I said, with Argentina, though... Uh, I mean, they've only played five games in the last 12 months, or, you know, moving on from last year's Rugby World Cup, those being against Chile, Brazil, and Uruguay, and they've played a couple of games against Australia A. So, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make from their play, bro. I mean, like, how much reading have you done on them? And, like, have, have they have they got their full squad, all their players in from Europe? Well, I'm not sure on that point, but from what I hear, they say they're confident, and obviously you're going to put that message out there because you're certainly not going to put the put a message to the contrary out. But you know, against the two games against the Australia 15, you know, we've got scorelines of 57-24 and 19-15, and I watched a bit of the 19-15 game, and um, it was pretty scrappy. Uh, they had a, there was a few missed tackles early on, which um, which Aussie capitalised on. They didn't, uh, Argentina didn't score until the second half, uh, although they did have a lot of their, they, they ring their subs, they, uh, they put, a lot of, um, put a lot of inexperience out on the field. So, you know, I think from those two wins, they'll have a bit of confidence. But I mean, I think anyone who knows anything about sports says that uh, if that's your lead up against the All Blacks who have just lost a game against the Wallabies, you are not going to be prepared to play that that team, I'm sorry. I mean, I I have full respect for the Argies, and and I know the only thing that's holding me back from saying I'm 100% sure that they're going to win is the fact that the Argies can play for the jersey, they play for pride, and like anything, if they score early, they get on top, they force the All Blacks into a few mistakes, and they cause them to drop their heads, then who knows what happens. But really, I think. They're they're pushing pushing shit uphill for this one. Really, it's just it's it's not going to happen for them because they just they're not going to be able to cope with the torrent of all black pain that is going to be left over from from that Wallaby loss. Because I'm fully expecting the All Blacks to have had a week of preparation, saying right, we need to we need to set a standard. We need to draw a line, and 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 the result that came from last week and put a performance on the field. So personally, I think you see the preparation there and it's not going to be enough for that test level. They're going to be shocked early on and it's really going to be the All Blacks for the taking. Whether they take it is the question. I honestly couldn't have put that any better myself, my man. So 
moving on from that, uh, you've obviously picked the All Blacks, or you're 99.9% behind the All Blacks, uh, but by what margin? Oh, I think, once again, if I'm a betting man, you're going 13+. plus. There's really no... There's not much in favour of, of any other result. Like I said, uh, if you base it off previous sporting results, you're going to have an All Blacks uh, side that is hurting and that's been talking all through the week that, that we need to, to make a case for our talent. I mean, one of the things that I'm interested in is the fact that if, if the Argies get up early on and put the All Blacks under pressure, like I said previously, we've said how the All Blacks are renowned for their last 20 minutes. However, I don't think we've seen it yet. We, we haven't seen that dominant last 20 minutes. If we take the, the blowout against Aussie in the second Bledisloe game, we saw an explosive first half, but a fairly substandard second half in contrast. So if the All Blacks have another off second half, especially under pressure with an Argentinian barrage in the first half, then, then I think it's all up for grabs. But if we have, if we have a, a near full-strength All Blacks team with reference to it's our original 15, maybe with a couple of changes here and there, then I think the talent will carry them over the line, the passion will carry them over the line, and to be honest, the All Blacks are due. They're due a blowout. Yes, the, the second game against the Aussies in the Bledisloe was a bit of a blowout, but I think they're due... One of those games where they run in tries, they bring in Will Jordan off the bench or someone like that that runs in a, a second half hat trick in five minutes or whatever it is, you know, and they and they go hard and they completely dominate against a team that's ill prepared and isn't ready for what's coming for them. I mean, that's certainly my hope. That's probably from a one-eyed All Black supporter, but uh, I think um, I think I'd be very very surprised if I saw something different from uh, the All Blacks game this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see what the TAB puts the Argentinians' chances at, at, at winning the game. Um, I'll, I'll be surprised if it's anything uh, under five bucks, to be completely honest. And I think it's like one of the last remarks you, you added. It's the fact that the Argentinians are ill-prepared. Um, I mean, you play Chile, Brazil, Uruguay, none of those are Tier 1 nations, and then you're playing the Australian B team. And... Uh, I think that the, the biggest thing that's probably going to catch, I mean, you make a mention to the All Blacks having not really shown the, the kick or that fifth gear that, 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 that they've typically had uh, in that last 20 minutes. And so, I mean, who knows? I mean, the Argentinians could be up for it in the first half. But for me, like, in the way that I feel, you know, given what, what we know about the Argentinian ins and their lack of preparation, is that I think that the Argies could be up by 20 points at half time and the All Blacks could still win. I, I just think that that's that, there's that big a difference you know, in, in finding your lungs and, you know, all the travel that they've done and then... Because the, I'm pretty sure the teams are flying in on the day or I'm not sure if the, the Argentinians are based out of Sydney at the moment, but I think the All Blacks are, so that might even play to their strength. So, yeah, I mean, like you, I think it's going to be... Um, it's going to be a near miracle if the Argentinians do manage to get a win. And I think the fact that they've never beaten the All Blacks as well is something that... I mean, like, yep, that they might use it as a bit of motivation going into the game, but I guess, like, when you play a team like the All Blacks, you know, off the back of a loss, I think you do have to have a lot of things go your way, and I think that before the game, you actually have to have 
this inner belief that you can do it and I think that when you, when you look at the teams that haven't been able to do it in the past or have, or have never been in the All Blacks I mean you only have to look as far as Ireland a couple of years ago before they got up um, over in Chicago you, you do you really just need a multitude of things to go your way and you pretty much have to be on them from the get-go and hope that the All Blacks like they did on the weekend keep shooting themselves in the foot but I think that the fact that the All Blacks' discipline was so poor on the weekend and, and I think that going into this game, they're going to be so mindful of it that I just don't think that the, the Argentinians are going to get the rub of the green in order for them to get the win. So, yeah, I'm picking the All Blacks 13+. plus. Um, and, and like you, I, I do think that they're due for a performance where everything just clicks and, and I'd like to see them run in a shitload of tries. You I mean, like we talk about a spectacle and, and you know, whether or not that would be a, a game to watch, but I think it would do... Me, yourself, and a whole lot of other All Black fans, a bit of good, you know, just knowing that, you know, the All Blacks, even now under, you know, the, the questionable Ian Foster regime, that they do have this ability to run amok, like we had seen under Steve Hansen and, and previous to him, Graham Henry. But, um, yeah, we'll wrap it up there, bro. I mean, thank you very much, Adam, for, for taking some time out of your night to... Have a quarter all with me, and I look forward to catching up with you uh, at the week's end to wrap up a All Blacks thrashing of Argentina. Cup on, mate. Absolute pleasure.